Hello and welcome back to The Re-Education. Today's show is a little different. There is no interview. Instead, I wanted to take a little bit of a longer look at whether there was a double standard in 2016 and 2017 and 2018 and how the FBI investigated Hillary Clinton during the 2016 election cycle and Donald Trump in the 2016 election cycle and the first two and a half years of his presidency. I think it's important because right now we are in another round of intense speculation about the meaning of the Mar-a-Lago raid from earlier this month. So with that in mind, please enjoy this extended monologue. The FBI makes mistakes. The church makes mistakes. People make mistakes. They screw up. Uh, Should this be any reason uh, for Americans not trust that what the FBI and the DOJ are doing now is in pursuit of protecting classified documents? Well, Joe, absolutely the American public should trust what the FBI is doing. You know, what's funny is I think back the year and a half that I spent with the team looking at Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server, there was no concern. There was no outrage on behalf of any Republican as we used search warrants, as we went out and did a very invasive investigation to try and get to the bottom of what she did or didn't do. So it's not that the FBI is targeting any one side or the other. What you see is the FBI going out on a day day-in, day-out basis, objectively investigating allegations of law. It just so happens that the only thing that tends to come up in the right-wing ecosphere, whether in the media or on the Hill or from President Trump, are those things where they take a personal affront because it directly impacts them. There's absolute silence when the FBI is investigating former Secretary Clinton. There's absolute silence when the FBI is doing things that isn't targeting them. So I think this is a one-sided narrative that has been developed and amplified Amplified, particularly by President Trump, going back to yeah. 2015 and 2016. We just heard from former FBI agent Peter Strzok appearing this week on Morning Joe. You could say that Mr. Strzok is in a unique position to assess whether the FBI had the same standards for investigation when it came to Trump and his political opponents, just not in the way that he suggests. He was the special agent in charge of mid-year exam which was the probe into Clinton's private email server as Secretary of State. And he also led the initial team, at least, that examined Crossfire Hurricane, and that's the investigation into the Trump campaign's possible coordination with Russia's election interference. In the clip we just heard, Strzok suggests that Republicans are being hypocrites by criticizing that unprecedented raid last week of Trump's Mar-a-Lago compound. After all, The FBI executed search warrants against Hillary Clinton, too, and there was nary a peep from the GOP. Well, to put it succinctly, Peter Strzok is gaslighting. He is leaving the impression of equal treatment when it comes to Clinton and Trump, when in fact, there really wasn't equal treatment. And here it's worth taking a little time to explain the disparities between the FBI's approach to the Clinton and Trump investigations. So let's start with Strzok himself. He was kicked off of Robert Mueller's team after his texts with an FBI lawyer, Leach Page, were unearthed that showed extraordinary animosity towards Donald Trump in the opening days of Crossfire Hurricane. Now imagine if there was such an anti-Clinton agent involved in mid-year exam, and you can imagine, I think, the rather justified kind of howls of protest from Democrats. 
Anyway, here's former Congressman Trey Gowdy, who at the time was leading a lot of oversight hearings with regards to this. And he here is reading some of the texts that were unearthed. And this is from 2018. And struck here is a witness. You're investigating this alleged Russian collusion with the Trump campaign. You're the lead investigator. You originated the investigation. You're the point of contact. You drafted the document. And here you are before you've interviewed a single solitary witness saying F Trump. Then that same day, your um, colleague, Lisa Page, wrote, maybe you're meant to protect the country from that menace. And you responded, I can protect the country at many levels. We're not even a week into an investigation that you originated, approved, were the contact for. You hadn't interviewed a single solitary soul until August 11th. And you're already promising to protect the country from that menace, Donald Trump. And then on August the 8th, you still hadn't interviewed anyone. You're eight days into your Russian collusion with the Trump campaign investigation. And you got another text from your uh, colleague, Lisa Page. Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right? And you replied, no. No, he's not. We'll stop it. Now, I should say, these personal texts do not necessarily prove on their own that Strzok led a biased investigation. In fact, you know, FBI agents are allowed to have personal political views, and the expectation is that they would keep those views out of their work and remain professionals on this. At the same time, Strzok's bias was enough of a problem for Mueller, and this is beyond, I guess, the text, that Mueller ultimately decided to transfer him off of the team that he had assembled in 2017 to take over the FBI investigation of Trump, Russia. And he did this despite the fact that there were plenty of other well-known Democrats, people like Andrew Weissman, who had served also on that team. Now, it gets worse, though. For Crossfire Hurricane, that's the Trump one, the FBI never gave Trump himself what is known as a defensive briefing. That's when the FBI would inform the politician, in this case Trump, and maybe a couple of Trump's advisors, that it has an open investigation on some of the people working for the campaign. And that would be, in this case, Carter Page, who was a volunteer and also an advisor. Michael Flynn, who was a senior advisor, would go on to become a national security advisor for about three and a half weeks. Or Paul Manafort, who was briefly the campaign chairman for about three months for the Clinton campaign before he was fired when his name appeared on a dark ledger in Ukraine as somebody who had taken cash payments from the former president of that country who was deposed, who at the time was a client of Paul Manafort. And Manafort was an advisor to him, Viktor Yanukovych, as well as a lobbyist for him in Washington. Clinton, on the other hand, received defensive briefing in 2015 warned her of an effort by a foreign government to influence her presidential campaign through campaign donations, as well as other kinds of lobbying. This is supposed to be the standard procedure. So, you know, when Senator Dianne Feinstein, for example, was provided a defensive briefing when the FBI discovered that one of her staffers, indeed her driver, was under investigation for being a Chinese spy, that was kept hush-hush press really didn't know about it. Also, a fundraiser for Eric Swalwell, another Democrat who serves on the Intelligence Committee and is on MSNBC, it appears constantly, was also determined to be a Chinese spy, not Swalwell, but his fundraiser. And Swalwell, too, received a defensive briefing. And then, you know, like three years later, then we finally learned about this. But at the time, there was no public story. Now, I should say, 
if this information had been mischievously leaked by the FBI to the press, saying that there is suspicion that Dianne Feinstein's driver is a Chinese spy, it would have really been damaging to these politicians. So it's important to note that all of this was largely kept out of the press until the issues were resolved. Compare that to all of the many leaks about Trump, especially in the first two years that he was in office. In the case of Clinton, the public did not even know about the fact that there was a foreign power that was trying to influence her through fundraising until five years later when Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee released redacted documents that they had gotten from the FBI as part of their own investigation. Okay, moving on. Let's compare, at this point, the defensive briefing issue to how Trump was treated. We know that Trump didn't get that defensive briefing. But we also now know that Strzok himself approved sending an FBI agent clandestinely acting as a briefer for a routine briefing for the Trump campaign to observe Michael Flynn, who was being investigated at the time, to sort of learn his mannerisms, if they could figure out what ticks he might have to show he was lying. But they were basically using a briefing of the Trump campaign as cover for investigative activity against the Trump campaign. Anyway, that is, I think, a major, major difference. Now, let's move on a little bit. I want to say that I anticipate an objection, and I kind of partly agree with it. The FBI never confirmed that it was investigating the Trump campaign until after the 2016 election. There were stories. Michael Isakoff of Yahoo had written a story that the FBI was investigating Carter Page. There were other sorts of hints about this. There was a famous letter from the late Harry Reid right before the election saying, I don't understand why the FBI isn't acting on all of this derogatory information, yada, yada, yada. But there was no official confirmation. Whereas, meanwhile, a former FBI director, the FBI director at the time, James Comey, took the unprecedented step of holding a press conference to share the results of mid-year exam on July 5th, 2016. Comey's press conference was a mixed bag. On the one hand, he was critical of Clinton's use of the private email server when she was Secretary of State. Although we did not find clear evidence that Secretary Clinton or her colleagues intended to violate laws governing the handling of classified information, there is evidence that they were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. For example, seven email chains concern matters that were classified at the top secret special access program at the time they were sent and received. Those chains involve Secretary Clinton both sending emails about those matters and receiving emails about those same matters. There is evidence to support a conclusion that any reasonable person in Secretary Clinton's position or in the position of those with whom she was corresponding about those matters should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. At the same time, Comey said the investigators did not find evidence that Clinton or her staff intentionally violated the law or obstructed the FBI's probe. And this is even though the technician that maintained her private server erased emails after Congress issued a subpoena, thinking that he was fulfilling a kind of standing request from Hillary Clinton and I guess you could say the wires get crossed. This is what the FBI concluded after looking into all of this. But I just want to point that out, that there were lots of emails that were erased. By the way, also her own lawyers, when they were 
doing a search of her emails to weed out personal emails from working emails that would be reviewed. They managed to remove from the pile that would be examined by the FBI and would be later published by the State Department lots of work-related emails, some of which even include classified information. Although there is evidence of potential violations of the statutes regarding the handling of classified information, our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. So all of that was on July 5th. At this point, the FBI investigation into Clinton was closed. And Trump and the Trump campaign, many Republicans were flabbergasted as to why Hillary Clinton seemed to get off. I mean, the key thing here is that Comey said no reasonable prosecutor would take this case. And Democrats were largely okay with it. Now, the problem is, is that after Comey makes this announcement, he then testifies before Congress and he walks himself into a trap. Comey promises Republicans that if there were any updates on the case, he would promptly let them know. And then about two weeks before the election, the FBI realizes that there were more emails that had turned up on the laptop belonging to former Congressman Anthony Weiner, who was at the time married to Hillary Clinton's chief of staff, Huma Abedin, and he was under the microscope, as we know, for sending lewd photos to minors. Anyway, this then prompts Comey to famously say he's reopening the investigation. And then at that point, all hell breaks loose. Lots of Democrats will say, you know, Comey should have been fired. What is he doing? He's interfering into politics. I should say, as a columnist at the time, I was at Bloomberg. I wrote this was inappropriate. I was at the time of The View, and this is, I should say, based on my longstanding belief that there is way too much secrecy in the U.S. government, that this issue was not something that rose to the level that it should derail Clinton's campaign or that she should face a criminal penalty for it. That was my view at the time, and I still kind of have that view, but we're talking now about a double standard in terms of these investigations. Now, what people often forget is that two days before the election in 2016, Comey then cleared Hillary Clinton again. With about 48 hours to go before the polls begin to close, there's breaking news tonight from FBI Director James Comey on those recently discovered emails connected to Hillary Clinton's private server. Comey sent a letter to a congressional committee today saying the FBI's review of the additional emails has not changed the Bureau's decision not to prosecute Secretary Clinton. Now, the conventional wisdom is that Comey's intervention two weeks before the election cast enough doubt in voters' minds that it cost Hillary a very close election. The cloud of the email scandal lingered when Americans voted in 2016, even though Comey cleared her a second time two days before people voted. That is the conventional wisdom. And I believe that there is maybe a little bit of truth to that, but it's also not the entire story. Because if you look at the overall evidence, it's very clear that the FBI treated Clinton far better than Trump. So now let's compare the investigative methods of the FBI with regards to Clinton and Trump. So one example here is that as soon as the FBI learns that there was nothing on the Wiener laptop that implicated Clinton, he puts out a public statement. We now know, though, through the Justice Department Inspector General and other oversight of the Russia investigation, that Robert Mueller's team, the special counsel who looked into Russiagate or kind of continued the FBI's investigation, knew by 2018 that there was no conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia, which is the final conclusion that Mueller draws, even though Mueller outlines a lot of other efforts to obstruct that investigation. And you could say there are other kinds of suggestive things like so-called connections. I will get into that maybe another time, but not today. 
But anyway, the point is that Mueller knew in 2018, and he does not finish his final report until March of 2019. So if we're talking about a cloud of suspicion that lingers over Clinton for the last two weeks until Comey says she's cleared, think about the cloud that lingered over Trump for more than half of his presidency and unnecessarily lingered, you could argue, after early 2018 when the Mueller team realized that there was no conspiracy. Now, I should say that Peter Strzok is correct when he says that the Bureau used search warrants in mid-year exam and other what are known as compulsory techniques in the investigation, such as issuing a subpoena. That said, the Bureau also used far more intrusive tactics when it came to Crossfire Hurricane. That's the Trump investigation. So let's compare. The FBI sent confidential informants, snitches, to surreptitiously record Trump advisors like Carter Page or George Papadopoulos. No such informants were ever used in the Clinton investigation. You could argue that the Clinton investigation, while it involved national security because of classified information, at least was not as grave a threat. But I should say that confidential informants against a presidential campaign is very serious stuff and is far more intrusive, you could argue, not even, you could argue, it is far more intrusive than any of the techniques that were used in the Clinton investigation. Also, we know this, that the Bureau sought a surveillance warrant on Carter Page, who was already on their radar because of his connection to an earlier investigation, which he, by the way, cooperated with. All right, now we would learn later that Page had also been a cooperative point of contact for the CIA with regards to Russia, but an FBI attorney who was working on the surveillance warrant renewals would alter that email from the CIA to say the opposite. That was something that the Inspector General in 2019, Michael Horowitz, found out. He was referred for prosecution. Eventually, this guy, this lawyer, pleaded guilty. In 2021, he received probation, and last year, he was restored to a member in good standing by the District of Columbia Bar. So what do you know? Now, as the investigation went forward, there were other disparities as well. And I should say here that Clinton did participate in the investigation by the FBI, whereas Trump only answered questions. Clinton did sit for an interview, but she was allowed to bring in her lawyers who were material fact witnesses to the investigation. That was a little bit unusual. But there's, there's more of a disparity, and I'm going to get into it now. One of Mueller's prosecutors, Andrew Weissman, was very fond of threatening to prosecute lower-level members of the Trump campaign or the Trump organization with violations of something called the Foreign Agents Registration Act, or FARA. Weissman, in his 2020 memoir, acknowledges what everybody at the time knew, which is that the FARA law was almost never criminally enforced. It was something that would almost always result in a fine... Or the penalty almost always being like, you have to now amend your filing or, or file for the first time. And it gets to a complicated question because there was another law which was less onerous than FARA, known as the Lobbying Disclosure Act, that a lot of people used instead of filing under FARA. But at the same time, nobody was really criminally charged under FARA for at least like the previous 30 years until the Mueller probe, and specifically Andrew Weissman. He gets into how he went over to the sort of dinky, fair office at the Department of Justice and realized he had this ability to really prosecute and use this law and really run with it, and he did. And the point here is that Weissman was using the same kind of tactics in the Russia investigation that he did when he was a, a younger man with the Justice Department prosecuting the mafia. He would seek to really bring tons of pressure on witnesses with threatening all kinds of prosecutions in the hopes that he would get them to flip and become hostile witnesses to Trump himself. 
this is a kind of classic way that you would go after, you know, an illegal organization like the mafia or something like that. And Weissman decided to use this against the recently elected president. Now, you could argue, you could debate this tactic, but it is unusual to say the least that a president who just won an election would be treated like a mafia boss. But so that's what it was. But this is the technique that, of the prosecutors in the extension of the Crossfire Hurricane case. Now, let's compare this to, again, Hillary Clinton. When the FBI, for example, learned about the technician who erased the emails after the congressional subpoena, they did not threaten to prosecute him the way the, the Bureau did with, say, Michael Flynn and so many others. Instead, they offered him immunity and without threatening, say, something like obstruction of justice or something like that, it's not surprising that this guy then testified that it was sort of all his fault and it was a sort of cross-wires miscommunication. Again, I'm not arguing that they should have come down with a heavy hand. What I'm trying to say is that there were these two investigations, both ostensibly led by Peter Strzok, and they were handled very, very differently. And as the inspector general himself reported when looking at mid-year exam, they found that there were even FBI agents who were on this team of investigating Hillary Clinton that were frustrated that her lawyers said, for example, that her old devices were destroyed after they switched to new ones. And they'd asked at the time, a couple times at least, for more compulsory tactics in the investigation, but they were denied by the Justice Department prosecutors. In fact, one of the people who asked for more compulsory tactics in the investigation is ironically Peter Strzok, who later then said, I'd think everything was fine. So I should just point all of that out. I don't bring this up to argue that Clinton should be in jail. I think her poor cybersecurity habits and her use of the private email server would, really should have been something that would have been judged by the voters. That said, I think it's very clear that Trump was treated worse than Clinton. And I think the strongest evidence in favor of this proposition is the open door that Clinton's campaign had to the FBI during the election season of 2016. Now, we got into some of this in earlier episodes. I would say, look at, look at the episode on the FBI. I did another episode on Russiagate. And so we talked a little bit about this. So I'll be a little bit brief. But remember, the FBI not only used Clinton campaign-funded opposition research, something known as the Steele dossier, in a surveillance warrant against Page, but James Comey himself fought to include this unverified rumor sheet in the intelligence community's assessment of Russian election interference. Ultimately, there was a compromise because the CIA said you shouldn't put it in this intelligence product. So they put it in a classified annex to the assessment, and it was briefed to both President Obama, incoming President Trump, and the fact of that briefing was then leaked to CNN. Once the media learns that the FBI director took the Steele dossier seriously enough, because at this point, most of Washington knew about it or had it, then it's open season to publish it, which is exactly what BuzzFeed did after CNN reported that the dossier was briefed to the outgoing and incoming presidents. And at that point, everybody knows that cable news kind of went crazy, and the Steele dossier became the kind of frame for the broader narrative of Russian collusion and that so deformed our politics for Trump's presidency. And in part, it became a media story because Comey wanted to brief this garbage to Barack Obama and Donald Trump. In addition to that, we also know from some of the work of U.S. Special Counsel John Durham that the FBI wasted a lot of time 
trying to confirm the dossier, even though its primary subsource, a Russian national named Igor Danchenko, who himself ironically was once investigated for being a Russian spy, walked back many of the most damning allegations in the dossier. Add to this the role of one Michael Sussman. He's the private attorney and a former FBI official who worked for the Clinton campaign and who won his case a few months ago against Durham on one count of lying to the FBI. I get into that in earlier episodes. Durham showed in that trial that Sussman helped edit the FBI press release about the hack of the Democratic National Committee. In fact, he even had a desk at an FBI annex office. And Sussman also, of course, passed along a bogus white paper that alleged the Trump Organization's servers were in contact with Russia's largest private bank, Alpha Bank. When the FBI's technical experts looked at the data and concluded it was garbage, FBI leadership nonetheless sent word down that the investigation should remain open, but this time as a counterintelligence probe. To get a flavor for how the FBI's mistakes in the Russia investigation all went in one direction, and that direction was against Trump and the Trump campaign, listen to this snippet of testimony from 2019 from Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz. Um, in the second and third, um, in the second and third renewals, the last two applications, they told the court that they had interviewed Steele's primary subsource, who, upon whom Steele relied in writing the reporting, and that they found the primary subsource to be credible. Um, they did not tell the court or the department lawyers any of the information which would have allowed them to know that if you found the primary subsource credible, you couldn't have also found the steel reporting credible. Kind of stunning. The subsource was reliable, but we won't tell you why, because the subsource was reliably telling us that the information in the warrant was not reliable. Unbelievable. Anyway, to sum up, I think it's fair in the narrowest sense to argue that Comey's announcement about the email probe two weeks before the election cast a cloud over Clinton's campaign for low-information voters. I think it's a fair, fair point to concede. But the overall treatment that Clinton received versus Donald Trump, well, it's undeniable that there was a double standard. I mean, the FBI used false tips from Trump's opponent, Hillary Clinton, to keep their investigation going when lower-level FBI agents believed it should have been closed. In 2020, the Justice Department released an affidavit from William Barnett, an agent who was working on the Michael Flynn part of Crossfire Hurricane. And what he said was that he thought the Flynn investigation should have been closed in November 2016. He compared the approach of Mueller's attorneys as collusion clue, similar to the board game where one connected individuals and possible crimes without real evidence. Barnett said he didn't see the point of a lot of the investigation after the end of 2016, and indeed at one point warned a superior that he believed their work would be scrutinized later on by the Inspector General of the Justice Department, and he was absolutely right about that. Now that's just one FBI agent's opinion, Barnett's opinion. All of this is worth reflecting on, especially because eventually Mueller, the FBI, never ended up finding the conspiracy that Hillary Clinton and her campaign had promised in 2016. But more important, I think it shows that it's reasonable right now to be skeptical, not only of the FBI and the Justice Department, but of all of these anonymous leaks 
that end up in the newspaper about what the Mar-a-Lago raid is all about. May be true, may not be true, but the track record of this kind of stuff for the last six years has been atrocious. Because the truth is we don't have much information right now to go on. But to say it's unreasonable to take the FBI's word, the truth is we just don't have a lot of information to go on at this point. But to say that one is attacking the FBI's credibility or the Justice Department's credibility with no justification is to ignore recent history. It is to gaslight the public because we all have a lot of reasons to question the competence and the neutrality of the FBI and the Justice Department at this point. It doesn't mean that they broke the rules. It doesn't mean that Trump is somehow a truth teller because he is not. And I have plenty of reasons to distrust him as well. But at least as far as I'm concerned, until you show me more evidence, I am going to presume that the Mar-a-Lago raid is much ado about nothing. Don't play me. I'm over 30 and I don't smoke weed. I put my ass away and the music I play ain't the type of stereo trying to feed don't play me this has been the re-education with eli lake a nebulous production please find us wherever you find your podcast and if you are listening on apple podcasts please leave a five-star review it helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing 